are going to continue today our series that we've been involved in for some weeks now um, called em Empowered, the Spirit-Filled Life. And uh, we are engaged in this study because uh, it's clear, you don't have to read very far in the Bible before you figure out that God did not intend for our relationship with him and the, our uh, life of faith to be something that's carried on just in our heads. It's not just theology. It's not just doctrine. It's not just philosophy. There's elements of all of that involved, but what it is is a relationship with a powerful God and connecting with this powerful God translate into powerful experiences in my life and your life. That's how he intended the Christian life to be, an ongoing daily experience of the power of God unleashed and at work in and through my life and yours. Not just that I come on Sundays and sit in a chair and stare at the back of somebody's head and listen to some fat, bald guy preach. That's not the point. The point of our life in Jesus is to experience him at work in this world. That's why we're here. That's why the day you came to faith in Christ, he didn't take you home to heaven. He left you here because he intended for, him, for, for you to be able to experience him living through you in this world. And when we look at the book of Acts, where I asked you to turn, we see the story of the birth and the expansion of the church in its earliest, rawest, if that's even a word, most primitive fashion and form, and yet so powerful, so lovely to behold what God does there. And I just feel like our Christian life Needs, my Christian life needs to look a lot more like the book of Acts than it does right now. And you've been along this journey with me because some of you are resonating with that desire that we want for our life in Jesus to look more like the book of Acts. And the truth is, it can. God wants that same thing. So we've been looking at the book of Acts for examples of how people who are filled with the Spirit actually live and what they experience. And we talked about the Holy Spirit, who he is, where he is, what he's doing. We talked about what it is to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, have his power overflowing in my life. And then we began to talk about nine gifts of the Spirit. They're like tools in a supernatural toolbox that God gives to each believer who is filled with God's Spirit so that he can draw from that toolbox and um, answer the need in this world. Sometimes people have the idea that these gifts of the Spirit are something that I own. In other words, like if, if, I, if I pray for Sue, if she's sick and I pray for her and she gets healed, sometimes we have the idea, well, Randy has the gift of healing. That's why he prayed, could pray for her and she would be healed. The truth is, she's the one who got healed. She's the one who's received the gift of healing. All I had to do was show up and make myself available. All I had to do is say, God, here's the toolbox. Would you draw from it? All I have to do is be the delivery person. Takes the pressure off, but also creates this environment where God can do amazing things. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, these nine gifts of the Spirit are enumerated for us. They are tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, faith, he uh, healing, and miracles. And we have de decided that we're going to talk about all of those because we want to see them like they are on display in the book of Acts, on display in our lives, in our church, in our world. We want God to be able to draw from that miraculous toolbox to answer to the millions, 
multitudes of needs that are around us the way that he wants to. That would be a good place for an amen. Good job. All right, I asked you to turn to Acts chapter 9, and I want to start reading at um, verse verse 10, excuse me, verse 10. Now, I guess I'll preface this. I think most of you would be familiar with the fact that this guy named Saul, who was a, a Pharisee, was devoted, rabid in his passion to uh, stamp out the early church, the Christians. He considered Christians uh, a sect that needed to be crushed. And um, so he was on his way to Damascus in Syria to take prisoners of the Christians there, take them prisoners for the sake of execution. It was serious to him. On his way to Damascus, he had an encounter with Jesus that changed everything. The Lord appeared to him, knocked him off his horse. The glory of God's presence blinded him. And he had a conversion, a dramatic conversion, as you might expect. And later, his name would be changed. He would stop using the name Saul, start using the name Paul, because he was no longer the same person and became one of the leading lights of the New Testament, taking the gospel of Jesus around the Roman world. But we're dropping in on the the immediate after effect of that encounter with Jesus Christ. He had to, because he was blinded uh, temporarily by that glorious experience with Jesus, he had to be led by the hand into the city of Damascus, and we pick up the story there. Now, verse 10, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Don't get confused. There are two Ananiases in the book of Acts. One Uh, Some of you might know is the husband of Sapphira, Ananias and Sapphira. We might talk about them later, but that's not the same guy. This is Ananias from Damascus. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. That's it. He said his name. Ananias. It is so easy, dear one, to miss the subtle promptings of the Lord. He will not compete for your attention. And so you have to kind of get tuned in to these little subtle promptings of the Spirit of God. Ananias. Now, Ananias did what you and I should always do when we sense the Lord kind of nudging us that way. He says this, Here I am, Lord. Now, it's also a very dangerous thing to say. Because the Lord will take you up on that. But this, this um, dance is something we need to learn. Where the Lord says, Sally. Where the Lord says, Eileen. The Lord says, Alex. And you start to sense God kind of nudging you. What's, what's your response? How do you follow his lead? Here I am, Lord. I don't know what's coming next. Scares scares me spitless, but here I am. That's what Ananias does. And then there's follow-up. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas 
for one called Saul of Tarsus. Have you ever had those prayers where you say, God, what am I supposed to do here? What should I do? And you want the Lord to say, take, uh, go five steps, turn right, and around the corner you'll see this. And you, know, you want that kind of detail, right? It hardly ever comes that way. But in this case, he's receiving a word of wisdom, which often is divine guidance. And very detailed, very specific. Go to this street, go to this house, ask for a guy named Saul of Tarsus. And then he gives him some knowledge, some information that he wouldn't have had otherwise. He said, for behold, this guy Saul is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias. That's you, buddy. He's seen him coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Two of the gifts of the Spirit are, are functioning here. Now, it's, when it's going on, it's really not all that important that you log in your mind, oh, this is a prophecy. Oh, this is a word of knowledge. Oh, this is a discerning of Spirit. It's not really all that important. But I, for, for the sake of our understanding this morning, I want to identify there are two gifts of the Spirit functioning here, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. And these are the things that we're going to be talking about today as we deal with the next set. I told you before that I, these nine gifts of the Spirit, I've divided them up into three categories. The gifts, uh, the um, power to communicate, the power to understand, and the power to change things. Power of communi to communicate, tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. We've talked about those. And now today we begin to talk about the next three. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and discerning of spirits, the power to understand. And we'll only get to the first two of those today, knowledge and wisdom. And we see them both on display here. Now verse 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how, he might, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So he begins to do what we always do when God begins to move and get our attention about how he might want to use us. We start to argue back and tell him why this is a foolish idea, why maybe I'm just making this up, or, and worse yet, I'm afraid to do so. Ananias says, I'm afraid to do What if I, I mean, if I'm getting this wrong, this could be my last day on earth. God, you're sending me into the lion's den. I go knock on that door, he may just slap the cuffs on me and I'm headed to the executioner. Are you sure we've got to... Have you ever prayed that? Are you sure? I, mean, I, I think I'm supposed to say this or do this, but man, if I screw this up, you know, it could be bad consequences. We do this. Ananias did too, but the Lord speaks into it. God is not afraid, by the way, of your, your uh, concerns. But don't let your concerns or your uncertainties rob you of the experience of being used by God. The Lord said to him, go, verse 15, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Verse 17, and Ananias went. He went his way and entered the house. Can you put yourself in his shoes when he... He raps on that door. <laughs> that was a huge step, man. It literally was a life or death knock on the door. If God doesn't come through, serious consequences. But he does. He finds Saul, everything just the way God described it. And he says to him, 
the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came. Now, God had not given him that instruction. God hadn't given him that information. So where did that come from? Likely, he stepped in, knocked on the door. Is Saul here? Yeah, come on in. Stepped in and was told the story. Saul probably was the one who gave him this information. Yeah, I was out on the road and this, man, I had this experience and I can't see, but I had this vision that somebody named Ananias might come and lay hands on me and that I could see. And, and all of a sudden, Ananias is in the flow of, he realizes, wow, this is really happening. God is really doing this. And so he says, the Lord who, who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. Seriously, the world changed in this, at this moment because Paul became the one who, along with others, but he in the lead, took the gospel to the, all of the known world. So this is a powerful moment. I remember one time years ago when Sue and I were pastoring in San Jose, I was in front of the congregation like, like I am right now, teaching away, you know, gotten very serious, you know. I've got my Bible and I'm all of that kind of stuff. And I have this thought that comes to my mind. Now, it was not like, a, not like a movie screen and technicolor imagery, but it was, more, it was more like a picture than it was words. Really hard to, to define these things or describe them sometimes, but I had this impression, and it was an odd one. Not only the timing, God, I'm right in the middle of something here, <laughs> but the nature of it was, ah, you'll, you'll see in a minute, it was weird. And so I start this whole dialogue with God. I'm still... I don't know how you do this, but I'm still preaching while I'm talking to God about, this is stupid, God. You know, what if I, how, what am I supposed to do with this? What if I get this wrong? Is this really you? Maybe I'm just making this up. You know, all of that, right? And finally, the press is just enough. You know, like with, with God says to Ananias, go. And so I said, okay, okay. I'm going to put a comma right there in what I was just saying. Can you just give me a little moment to you know, divert from what I was just saying for a minute? Everybody said, well, sure, we were kind of bored with that anyway. So, <laughs> so I said, here's what's happening. Right at this very moment, I feel like, I can't say for sure, but I feel like God is impressing me with something. Here it is. Is there somebody here today who has with you right now a knife with a red handle? How would you have liked to have been the one asked to give that crazy word? So there I am. I'm, out, I'm hanging out there on a limb. It's quiet. And then in the back row, center section, this lady raises her hand. And I said, you got to be kidding me. Seriously? You right now, right here, on your person, you have, an, I'm not used to people packing weapons with them to church. And especially this nice looking petite little lady back there. I said, really? You have it with you? Mm-hmm. Would you show us? 
I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So she reaches into her purse and she pulls it out. A knife with a red handle. And I'm like, okay, now what, God? And I said, so here's, I didn't plan this. I just found myself saying, because there were people around her that I knew. I said, would you, you and you, step, a, step over there, out there in the foyer with this woman and just, would you pray with her? Talk to her for a minute. Ask the Lord to help you to be able to minister to her about the fear that grips her life, that she feels like she has to always protect herself. Let's minister to her today. So they did. They went off that, and I picked up on my message where I left off. God ministered to that woman at a deep need of her life that was far different than anything I was addressing in my sermon. He knew what she needed. He interrupted that service and gave me a word of knowledge, gave me information that I wouldn't have had any other way to, to launch that thing. And that is the definition of the word of wisdom, or excuse me, the word of knowledge. It is a little piece. It's a word. It's not the whole thing. It's just a little piece of what God knows. He has perfect knowledge of all things at every moment. And so, but he can grant us a little bit of that. We couldn't, uh, we couldn't contain it all. We wouldn't be able to have the, the um, context to deal with it all. But he'll give us little pieces of it. It's supernaturally provided information or facts. Now, the word of wisdom is a provision of divine guidance or understanding regarding, and I'm going to ask you to take her out, okay, would you? Just so the rest of us are not disturbed by that. A provision of divine guidance or understanding regarding the best use of information. So that's maybe the way to distinguish between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is knowing facts, information. Wisdom is what to do with that information. How we handle it. Where do we go? What do, how do we respond? It's divinely supplied ability to know what to do or say in a given situation. We saw both of those gifts on display in this situation with Ananias. I want to talk to you just this morning and the rest of the time we have together uh, about some additional examples from the book of Acts about how God uses the word of knowledge and word of wisdom. I won't be reading a lot of these passages, but I'm going to ask you to turn there so you know where they are and that you know that this really is the, the, the way these people lived. The believers in the early church in the book of Acts, they lived this. It was part of how they understood God at work in their world and life. So um, Acts chapter 5, turn there, would you? And um, we're told right, before, right at the end of chapter 4 that the believers lived in such community with one another that people who had stuff uh, were, would sell their uh, material things to help provide for those who were destitute and didn't have stuff. So it wasn't that there was anything wrong with people 
possessing things. It wasn't some sort of uh, weird form of communism or something like that. It was just people taking care of one another. So we're told that that, that was going on. Then in chapter 5, we're told about another Ananias, the one I mentioned earlier, Ananias and his wife Sapphira. They had a piece of property. They sold it, the proceeds from that sale, the, what they earned from it. Uh, they decided, well, we'll give some of this to the church for the meeting of people's needs. Some of it we're going to hold on for ourselves, but we're going to make it look like we're giving the whole thing. That way everybody will give us good attaboys and pats on the back and think we're so great. So they come and they present this gift to Peter, and the Lord gave Peter a word of knowledge. Peter said, Ananias, when you sold that property, wasn't it, wasn't it yours to do with what you wanted to do with it? No one was compelling you to sell the property. No one was compelling you to give anything. But you are lying to the Holy Spirit. Why would you do that? You can read about that but that's a, further, but that's a word of knowledge. God gave Peter a piece of information. He wouldn't have had any other way of knowing otherwise and um, was able to deal with that situation. Look at Acts chapter 14. Acts 14, verse 8 through 10. Paul is uh, in Lystra, and he's, he's speaking, and there's a man there who was crippled from his mother's womb. That means he never has walked. He's a man, a grown man. He has never walked in his whole life. And while Paul was speaking, like I was mentioning earlier in that situation where I was preaching and I had this, this uh, sense that God wanted to say something. Paul is speaking, but he finds himself focusing on this man and looking at him intently, observing him intently. And it says here that the Lord spoke to him, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said that this man is ready to be healed. So Paul stops what he's doing and he said, stand up. And the guy does. He stands up for the first time in his life. And healing came to that man as a result of a word of knowledge. The word of knowledge preceded the gift of healing. Um, you know, there was one time when I was, uh, it was one of the very first trips that Sue and I ever made to, to Asia, and I was introduced to a woman there as Anita. She was Taiwanese, spoke Mandarin Chinese as her native language, but I was told that her name was Anita, and she spoke fairly good English, so... Um, I didn't, and, and at that point, I knew very little about the fact that often uh, Chinese speakers will adopt English names, and uh, so I just thought, well, this is her name. Anyway, I'm ch chatting with her one day, and I felt like the Lord wanted me, you know, that, that nudge, Randy. <laughs> I felt like the Lord wanted me to say something to her. And it came in the form of a picture in my mind, and so I just said to her, I said, you know, I... I hope this will be meaningful to you, but I feel like the Lord wants me to tell you that he sees you as a, an incense stick and that the aroma that comes off your life, the sweet aroma of God's presence in your life is something that not only blesses him, but blesses many. I left it at that, but she gets real emotional, starts to cry, and she says, Randy, you wouldn't know this. But my Chinese name is Incense. The Bible says that God knows your name, dear one. That day, he waded into that woman's life and said, I know you. And this is what I know about you. Oh, how that would have moved her heart. It did. 
And to be able to be involved in God doing these kinds of things is, there's nothing like it. One time I had, I was dealing with a guy who, I was trying to counsel him, and he really was a hot mess. I mean, (laughs) it was bad. And I'd already had several sessions of being with him, and we weren't getting anywhere. And so we are again, uh, he's sitting across from me, and he's telling me all of this stuff that he's dealing with, and I feel like we're going around in circles. I'm just a little bit frustrated. But I whispered under my breath, I said, God, you've got to give me something. And I felt like the Lord gave, <laughs> I felt like the Lord gave me uh, a name, a, a first name. And I don't remember if this was it or not, but it was like this. It was a very common English name that wouldn't have stuck out in any context. It was like Bob or Joe or Jim, something like that. And, uh, you know, I go through the whole thing. He's, he's talking to me and I'm nodding. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. And this is going on with, and God, really? I mean, this is such a common name. Why would that, is, this has got to be just me and it's back and forth and back and forth. And finally, I stopped him. I said, wait, 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 wait. I don't mean, I'm, this is, I'm really listening and this is really important, I'm sure. And, but I just got to ask you a question. Is that all right? Sure. I said, do you know anybody named Bob? You know, and he goes, and you, you can imagine that I, a scenario where you just play the odds, because how many of us know somebody named Bob? Probably everybody in the room. So I'm figuring, all right, this is fairly safe. He's going to say, yeah, I know Bob, and what of it? But he says, oh, yeah, I know Bob. And I, I said, okay, um, a specific Bob? Oh, yeah. He's, I said, well, how do you know him? He says, well, he, was, he had been in the Air Force, he said. When I was early in my military career, I, w- I was a roommate with a guy named Bob. I said, oh, so are you still friends? Because that was quite a while back. He said, no, no, uh, we, we lost track of each other. It was just a very short period of time where we, were, where we knew each other. And I said, okay, well, that's interesting, that the Lord would sort of pinpoint a very specific period of your life. So I said, okay, what was going on in your life during that very short period of time when you knew Bob. And then he told me, well, that was when, and not with Bob, but that was when I had my first homosexual affair. He had never told me anything about his homosexuality to that point. Now, we were getting somewhere. Now, instead of chasing our tails at this high-level stuff, we were able to get down to some things that actually mattered, and we were able to minister to him where the, where the real rubber meets the road. God wants to do this kind of thing more than we know. Um, look at Acts chapter 16. Acts 16. And verse 6. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let me kind of explain. So Paul begins 
uh, to travel in, a, in a, a westerly direction. And he tries to go north, and it says the Holy Spirit stopped him, forbid him to go. I don't know how that happened. I don't know if they ran into trouble and you know, just couldn't go there. If the Holy Spirit just made it clear, you're not to go that direction. But somehow they got the, they got the message. And so they continued to travel in a westerly journey. And then Paul says, well, let's, take, let's go down south. And it says they were pro- uh, prohibited from going that way as well. So Paul just kept heading west till he actually ran out of real estate. He's at the Aegean Sea. There's nowhere farther west he can go. And he's just waiting there for what? A word of wisdom. And the Lord gave it to him in the night in the form of this very simple dream, a man from Macedonia across the Aegean Sea saying, come on over and help us. So they got in the next boat they could, sailed across the Aegean Sea. I am of European uh, descent. The gospel came to me because they crossed the Aegean Sea and the gospel came to Europe. Big things happen with these small, seemingly small uh, uh, things that the Lord deposits in our lives in terms of these gifts of the Spirit, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. This is recording number 11199 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, February 14, 2016. This is the sixth message in a series titled, Empower the Spirit-Filled Life. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, The Power to Understand Part 1.